Hi, this is Scott Luther. Thank you for tuning into the South Richville podcast. This is a special two-part episode, and this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one of Tragedy in Richfield, I recommend you go back and download that episode before you tune into this one. Enjoy! Previously on the South Richfield podcast. So imagine it's 1834. Yes. I'm I'm Robert Gargett. I'm coming in from so New that, York. That makes or, me Mrs. Actually, Robert Gargett. <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> and quit driving so fast. <laughs> Slow down. He settled there and became a very prosperous farmer. Known for his uh, dairy cattle. Robert Gargett Dairy. Right. And he went to the Blossoms and he got the milk and there was his face. <laughs> right on the container. The most contented cows in all of Summit County. She happens to show him a picture of her sister Chloe, who was still at home in Richfield with the Gargett clan. This John Hunter sees her picture and takes a liking to her. He says, I gotta lock that down. <laughs> the picture pleased him. Yes. So this is May 28th. So the first letter is March. So basically, two April. Months. In two months' time, she is in love. They've never met. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Matt, but I've met people off the internet who don't look like they said they look like. <laughs> Well, Scott, that picture of me was taken when I was younger, and the lighting just was perfect. So, excuse me. This, this guy's been all over Canada. Who knows what he's doing up there? He's been in Hudson. He's been Peninsula. Hudson. Oh man, he, he's like everywhere. Right, he keeps getting run out of town. He, you know, what probably is. What? He can't establish anything in that town. Probably petty crimes. Horse. Horse thievery. <laughs> Buggery. Buggery. <laughs> a lot of buggery going on back then. The second biggest uh, crime buggery? in the 1800s. It was buggery. Yes. Jeebus. Really? <laughs> so, Chloe does happen to go back to Michigan and visit Michigan with her sister Orpha. After the holidays. After the holidays, they, uh, they return and... Chloe spends the winter in uh, Michigan. First, she's visiting with her, her sister, sisters, Mrs. Gee and Mrs. Stiles in Elm Hall. Mm-hmm. And then part of it she spends with her brother, James Gargett, at Alma, mm-hmm. which is about 10, 11 miles uh, from Elm Hall. Everybody knows that, Scott. Okay, I'm Don't sorry. need to repeat that. <laughs> While at her brother's on the latter part of December, Hunter called to see her. He inquired of her why she had treated him so, to which she replied that he had deceived her, that he had lied to her, and was not the man that he had represented himself to be. I got that all the time on my Tinder page. (laughs) Swipe Swipe left (laughs) hard. He then. Or said grinder. He then turned upon her brother and accused him of having broken off the match because of his poverty and left in considerable rage. Hey, man. He was in a rage when he left. Yeah. Sometime afterwards, he called again and asked to see Chloe. Mr. Gargant went and called to her. Hello, Chloe. Hey, John's here to see you. You but, know that, that poor bastard <laughs> who everybody hates? He's, he's here. <laughs> But she sent word that she did not wish to see him. Whereupon he became very angry. Herumph! Pulled off his coat and swore that he would see her if she was in the house. This is his first flash of Of violence and rage. He took off his coat, Scott. His coat! Yeah. James stepped in front of him and told him that he could not run that house while he was there. Oh, Hunter replied with an oath that if Gargett interfered, he must take the consequences. Whereupon James said, You infernal scoundrel, get out of the door. And as he did not move fast enough to suit James, Gargett Gargett kicked him out. Wow. He 
ton around. Way to go, with his James. Boots. Yeah, no, those 1870s boots, they didn't mess around. Woo! Because they used those for kicking some... <laughs> they talked about your boots. That was your boot. And yeah. That, and that was a bad move he did right there. <laughs> out of my house. You're not moving fast enough? I'm going to help you out the door. Kabam. Here's your Bam. Yeah. That you took off in a rage. <laughs> so Hunter threatens revenge. And he he's always been extremely boastful, very vain. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that from mm. his... His letters. You I know, think, I'm a robust man. I can do anything. I think if he was here today, just with that description of being very vain and boastful, he might be presidential material. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Um, so <clears throat> he had made a confidant of almost everyone with whom he conversed, telling them his story of this broken off relationship and showed him letters that she had written look at these letters she wrote to me mm-hmm. how can she not love me mm-hmm. the, this family's out to get me they're trying yeah. to break us up and this Sam wealthy Ford. dairy empire could have been mine <sighs> you know and he's he's saying boasting about the handsome dowry that she would bring him so he's building all this stuff up in his mind yeah which uh, apparently varied between ten thousand and sixteen thousand dollars which was a lot of money back it's a lot of money now yeah Yeah. could you imagine that and after his final rejection he was continually continually talking about the matter to whoever would listen to him and threatening vengeance against james gargett and other members of the family who had become who had come between him and his girl these threats, of course, reached the ears of Miss Gargett and her friends, but re- were regarded as idle talk, born of his insatiate vanity and boastful proclivities, or uttered while under the influence of intoxicating liquors. Interesting, he, he, never, he said in his letter that he never drank. He had never been addicted, is what he said. Yeah, so now here he is uh, getting drunk all the time. Another lie. Yep. But as we will see, this talk was not as idle as they had imagined. Mm. He had a deliberate plan for revenge, is what you're saying. He did. So uh, over a whole year later, in May of 1871, Miss Gargett returned home in Richfield. So she spent the entire winter and most of the spring. Five, six months in Michigan. Yeah, so I got to imagine that the family's going, get out already. <laughs> Go home. This guy's like showing up at our door, throwing pebbles at the window. Boasting. Boasting, I'm going to get them gargets. And James probably had broke in three or four pairs of boots in his <laughs> ass, <laughs> kicking them out the door all the time. So she returns in May of 1871. Remember, their, this love affair started March 30th of 1870 so here we are a year and two months later miss gargett returns home to richfield and upon learning which hunter in his usual braggart manner swore that he would follow her to ohio and demand fulfillment of her promise and compel her to marry him or marry him or he would clean out the entire gargett family accompanying these threats with a great show of anger and the most profane and obscene expressions that his naturally low instincts could devise. These wild anathemas were regarded too as idle talk, but those in whose presence they were uttered, the general belief being that he was too cowardly to attempt to put his threats into execution. But in this opinion, his acquaintances seemed to have been mistaken, as evidenced by his subsequent subsequent conduct. Yeah, so around May 20th, 1871, Hunter borrows a seven-shooter revolver from Mr. J.G. Lacey of Carson City, Michigan, which is a little bit south of uh, Elm Hall. Scott, everybody knows that. <laughs> Having previously informed Mr. Lacey that he was going to Ohio to get married. On May 25th, Hunter, armed with this revolver and carrying two small satchels, one of which contained the letters which had been written to him by Miss Gargett, 
left Elm Hall for Ohio, going by stage to Pawamo, and from thence by rail to Detroit, where he took a steamer for Cleveland. A Cleveland steamer. <laughs> arriving at the in Cleveland on Saturday morning, May 27th. From there, he took passage with Moses McFarland, who was then carrying the mail between Cleveland and Copley, leaving Cleveland around 8 o'clock in the morning. On the way to Richfield, Hunter talked freely to Mr. McFarland about his love affairs, showed him the letters, showed him a picture of Chloe, and said he was going down to marry her, that there had never been any trouble between him and the girl, but that her friends in Michigan had interfered. Mm-hmm. On the suggestion from McFarlane, well, that hey, maybe their parents won't let Chloe see you, or won't let you see Chloe. Hunter clapped his hand in his side pocket, took out his revolver, and said that it contained seven loads, and that he would see the girl or clean out the whole shebang. That he was just John Bull enough to do it. So here he is back get into his braggadocious ways. With the mail carrier. With the mail carrier. When you try to impress a mail carrier... You... He just... He just talks too much, mm-hmm. this guy. But yeah. at this point, I mean, bringing that... He has two days that he's he secured a weapon. Two days to come from Michigan to Pawoma to Detroit to take a, make a Cleveland steamer over to Cleveland. <laughs> Two days to cool down. He, he is he, not cooling he down. He is on a mission. Yeah. He, he's there to exact his revenge. And he's, he's built up in his mind that they've they have wronged, wronged him. him and took him from or took from him his rightful dowry of fortune of 10,000 to 160,000 which is probably more like 400 billion dollars today <laughs> maybe so so he's riding with the mailman yeah. they arrive in west richfield mm-hmm. the center of west richfield broadview in 303 I, I mean to ask you about this there's yeah. a west richfield so west richfield but they don't have a podcast <laughs> that's right okay go ahead <laughs> Well, when my dad heard that I had a South Richfield podcast, he's like, we're in West Richfield. So you ain't no son of mine. We're in South Richfield. We're in North Richfield. This West Richfield. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, Scott. So, you know, there was the West Center. Yes. And the East Center. No, no, no. I don't yeah. know the East Center. Where's the There's East Center? That's Brexville and 303, Streetsboro Road. Then where's West Center? Broadview. I mean, so, so one mile Vance away. Vance Pharmacy okay, that's and the dugout are the West Center. All right. And then the Can Ellis Hotel and the Less the than a mile place. away. <laughs> By the way, the Progies are right, <coughs> not nearly as good as my mom's. Hmm. They were competing villages back in the day. Hmm. You know? Probably a big rivalry. Yeah. And right between them, there was a mill, okay? Where the school is? Where Mill Street is. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Used to be a mill there, apparently. Okay. So he arrives in the center, west center of Ridgefield, and he happened to run into Chloe's brother, Rodney. Rodney Gargett, the youngest the of the Gargettes. The Gargettes, yeah. 22 years of age, maybe 23 at this, at this point. point. yeah. Uh, at the post office, they, they shook hands, uh, greeted each other cordially, and Hunter told Rodney that he was going to their house um, hadn't much to do (laughs) had set some hands to work on a job of painting so he must have some of his own hired hands up in Michigan doing some painting for him telling them that I'll be back in a couple weeks and he asked Rodney if Chloe was at home and he said "Uh, I suppose you've heard that we've had some troubles but I figured I'd come down and talk to Chloe We'll talk the matter over, and everyone will feel better after we so know, he, see each other. He's BSing this guy right now. He's trying to worm his way in to get over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine you go to the post office? You're riding with the post postal guy, telling him this story about how much she loves him and how they're going to work it all out, and then she, he sees the brother right there and goes, Oh, sure. <laughs> Here's a guy in the family. But back then, originally, there were only four people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, <clears throat> Rodney's in the center of town. He's he's doing he's doing some business. Hunter goes over to the hotel, which is kind of catty corner from 
the post office back then. Mm-hmm. Um, checks in, changes his clothes, and then accompanies the brother Rodney to a sawmill and helps. The one on Mill Street, maybe. Because listen to this, he helped unload the log he had hauled in, and then accompanied him to another mill and assisted in loading up some. Lo- <laughs> there might have been multiple mills on Mill Street. Okay. Down by the old mill stream where mm-hmm. I first met Rodney. Oh. Then they went back to the hotel together where they drank two or three glasses of beer each. Which so he's endearing himself to Rodney. That's what this guy can do. Yeah. He, he is a, uh, he's probably a pathological liar. I would probably say he's a narcissist. Oh, yeah. Um, I would venture to say that he is uh, probably maybe sociopathic as well. So Hunter pays for their beers. And around 6 o'clock... They head off for the Gargett Homestead, which, again, is <clears throat> about a mile and a quarter away. Mm-hmm. It's on Hawkins and Southern. 20-minute walk. 30-minute walk. Well, yeah. they had two beers. They, and they had a bunch of lumber, so they must maybe they had a horse right. and wagon. In fact, I know they had horse and wagon. So the conversation on the way was quiet, pleasant, friendly. No intimation of Hunter of any trouble or any, any of the things... Bubbling up inside him. Mm-hmm. He had to be keeping this all... Suppressed. Like, bubbling is a great word. It was right there this whole time. Right. He's doing work with this guy. He's drinking I'm, beers with I'm this guy. I'm You don't even know. You might be dead in an hour. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the Gargat Farm was situated on the south side of an east-west road, which we've... Which is Hawkins. Hawkins. The house facing the north. Mm-hmm. A short distance east of the house was a broad lane between the dooryard and the barn into which a small gate opened about opposite the kitchen door. So there's a, a apparently a fence around this house. Um, as Rodney and Hunter drove down the road, Mr. Gargett, the, the elder, mm-hmm. John John Gargett, and a neighbor, Mr. S. Robert Gargett. Or Robert. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Well, Mr. Mr. Gargett and a neighbor, Mr. Uh, S.M. Waldo, were standing near the east side of the lane. A hired man, Richard Abrams, being in the barnyard milking while Mrs. Gargett and Chloe were in the house. Chloe was upstairs dressing for a party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she is a member of the High Society of Richfield, apparently. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of those fancy copley parties. Yeah, <laughs> that she would have to walk to. Mm-hmm. As Rodney and Hunter drove into the lane and passed where Mr. Gargett and Mr. Waldo were standing, Mr. Gargett, having a pail in his hand, hastily stepped towards the gate leading to the house. Rodney dismounted from the load of lumber upon the left or east side, while Hunter dismounted upon the west side. Hastily approaching, approaching Mr. Gargett, as he was passing through the gate, Hunter said, Good evening, Mr. Gargett, to which the old gentleman made no reply. This is a 71-year-old man at this time. Yeah. Uh, but he passed Mr. Gargett on towards the house, following, and he followed him up, and Hunter said, uh, Where's Chloe? I want to see her. And Mr. Gargett replied, No matter where she is, she don't want to see you, and ordered him to leave the premises. Whereupon Hunter drew his revolver and shot Mr. Gargett in the head, about two inches above the eye. Mr. Gargett falling instantly to the ground, insensible. At this time, Mrs. Gargett is in the kitchen, looking out the door, in full view of what is going on, and upon hearing the report of the pistol and seeing her husband fall, uttered a loud scream, rushing to the chamber door, and called to Chloe to run for her life. Get the F out of here, Chloe. It's going down, Chloe. Yep. Move it. On the fall of Mr. Gargett, Hunter rushed into the house and in encountering Mrs. Gargett in the hall near the foot of the chamber stairs, without a word, raised his weapon and fired at her, the ball entering her head near her left temple, killing her instantly. Wow. By this time, Rodney, the son, rushed into the house and grappled with the assassin who in the desperate struggle that ensued fired at him, the shot passing through his ear. So it kind of grazed. Okay. He might have had ears like this that stuck out. Okay. (laughs) A lot of that was going on back then. Uh, I don't think they had clothespins invented yet. Um, 
and it caused him to fall out of the door and for a moment rendering him unconscious. On recovering himself, Rodney mounted one of the horses, which had in the meantime been unhitched from the wagon by the hired hand, and rode post-haste to the West Center for help. A mile and a half away. Yeah. So he's probably hauling just right through fields. and He sees his father killed. He sees his mother killed. He goes in and tries to knock this guy down. He gets shot in the air. The only thing this J.H. Hunter seemed to be good at was killing people. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably why he left town to town. Jeez, oh man. So the escape yeah. of Chloe, plucky Mrs. Poole. Chloe being, as before stated upstairs, and on hearing and recognizing Hunter's voice and the report of the revolver, looked out the window and saw her father lying upon the ground. At once, comprehending the dreadful work that was being done below, she ran downstairs just as her mother opened the door and called for her to flee for her life. Thereupon, she rushed upstairs again, and at that very moment, her mother was shot to death at the hands of her infernal, infuriated lover. She jumped from the front chamber window to the ground and ran across the street to the house of Mrs. Caroline Poole, who, hearing the firing, was running over to see what was the matter with the exclamation, Oh, don't tell him where I am. Chloe continued on to Mrs. Poole's, while Mrs. Poole herself continued on to the scene of the blood and crash. So she runs past her neighbor. Her neighbor's coming over going, what's going on over here? And Chloe's running past her going, don't tell him. She's running for her life, just like her mother said. Seeing Mr. Gargett in the yard, apparently dead, Mrs. Poole passed into the house to look after Mrs. Gargett. On entering, she encountered Hunter near the kitchen door, reloading the revolver, a seven-shot revolver. So, so far, there's only three shots. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe he fired multiple times. When at... he's struggling with the brother. Yeah. So, upon entering uh, Hunter near the kitchen door, reloading his revolver, she said to him, Oh, dear sir, what have you been doing? Hand me that pistol. Can you imagine the resolve to say that to yeah. somebody? Hunter replied, don't come near me, and leveled the pistol at her and continued to say, I want the girl. I want Chloe. And the girl I'll have. I won't hurt her, but I will have her. Mrs. Poole then crowded past Hunter and went to find Mrs. Gargett, whom she found lying dead upon the floor in the sitting room. So this guy is completely out of his mind thinking that he's still going to have the girl after he shot up her family. Presumably, Hunter came storming in saying i will have the girl she's in this house and i am determined to have her then he opened the stair door and rushed up into the chamber mrs pull thereupon ran rapidly to her own house telling chloe to secret to secret herself in the cellar started back meeting mr hunter who not finding chloe in the upper room at the garget house had followed her across the street here hunter said again I want Chloe. I must have her. I must kiss her before I die. So he's he's out of his mind. Right. He's out of his mind. <laughs> Mrs. Poole then went to him and laid her hand upon his arms again saying, My dear sir, consider what you are doing. He pointed the pistol at her saying, Don't touch me. She said, I won't touch you, but consider what you are doing. He replied, I have considered. I am rational and conscious of all that I am doing, and I am continuing. Oh, and then continuing. Is this said. guy from England? or? Uh, well, he is from England. <laughs> Remember? He was from England. But I give him some of this. Uh, what kind of accent? I don't know. It's, that's sort of like a Kentucky Twain. All right. Re, re, it would be an English accent. Full, 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 full. Read those letters. Hiding her in the satchel. I have been truly deceived. Read and judge for yourself whether I am justified in what I have done. I mean to die, to die by my own hand. Repeating the latter declaration a number of times. I'm going to die by my own hand. By that voice, I'd help him. He's, he's boastful. I don't think his voice quite sounded like that. <laughs> It was probably closer to the Kentucky thing. Oh, right. He had been over here for between 16 and 10 years, yeah, depending on his you're age. you're going to lose the accent. I know <laughs> if I go down south for a little bit, I'm talking like this, boat. 
and that's just going he's to... He's in Michigan, <laughs> in Canada. Oh. Hey, What's but... all this moot? Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Mrs. Pool's little children... Oh, jeez. Mrs. Pool's little children here called to their mother to come into the house, for he would shoot her. She said, no, sir, you won't shoot me, will you? To which he replied, no, madam, you are innocent. Shake hands. Jeez. And immediately put his pistol in his pocket, adding, I have been engaged to Chloe twice, once before I saw her and once afterwards, and this is what she has done for me. Still expressing his wish and determination to see Chloe, Mrs. Poole, to divert his attention from her premises, suggested that she might be out in one of the outbuildings out back, and started with him out the gate toward the Gargette place. So walk past the bodies that you just... Go yeah, just go go look back there. There's mm-hmm. probably little buildings back there that she's hiding in. Let's go find her. Yeah. Uh, Hunter in the meantime saying, he, Mr. Gargett, ordered me from the place and struck me with the pail, and I shot him, and I am glad of it. Lies. I know that I must die for this, and I mean to shoot myself. He then had the pistol in his right hand and taking off his cap said, I am going to shoot myself. Mrs. Poole said, pray don't shoot yourself while I am here, and turned her face away when he replied, oh no, I can't shoot myself. I must have one more kiss before I die. Guy's an absolute coward. He's not going to kill himself. No. But he, in the same time, I imagine he's loving the, in some sick, uh, twisted way, loving the drama about all of this. While this parlay was being held between Mrs. Poole and the assassin... This Mrs. Poole is the hero. She is. Can you... That's, that's true South Ridgefield material. In the meantime, you know, this is, this is a main intersection in Ridgefield at the time. There's a lot of families living in this area, and mm-hmm. a crowd has started to gather. Especially after hearing the shots and all the commotion. It's near Buck's Corners, like you Buck's said. Buck's Corners... The alarmed neighbors began to arrive, and very soon afterwards, he was secured by Mr. J.E. Buck, who waited for his opportunity and seized him around the waist and arms from behind, while Mr. Elbridge Bigelow grappled him by the throat and took the revolver from him. He was then bound with a rope. There was, of course, very great excitement. As the news of the double murder spread from house to house, and in an incredibly short space of time, the premises swarmed with a large and terribly excited multitude of people. There was considerable talk about inflicting summary uh, summary vengeance upon the double, almost triple, because Rodney, murderer, divining which Hunter said they might hang him or shoot him, but he begged begged of them not to hurt or abuse him. The better counsels of the order of loving people of the neighborhood, however, prevailed, and he was soon afterwards taken to the west center of Richfield, and he was jailed, mm-hmm. pretty much. Uh, they took him to Akron that night and committed him to jail. So, in the meantime, so Mrs. Mrs. Gargett, Elizabeth, was shot and killed instantly. Mr. Gargett, though, he lived for a full week shot above the right eye yeah he and and he he died but in the meantime he's he's in prison on june 5th he was arraigned and pleaded not guilty to both indictments because he pleaded insanity insanity defense never works he in his downfall for this thing was he had bragged so to so many people about what he was going to do. He was of sound mind. He told the person he borrowed the revolver from up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. He told pretty much everybody. The postmaster. Uh, everybody testified. on the Cleveland steamer. That, <laughs> the, the, I'm going to kill those people if they don't give me my Chloe. <sighs> this guy already. Tell him to shut up. They took three and a half days to uh, seat a jury. And the proper trial uh, started on July 20th. So it took it took a while because they had 36 jurors summoned at first, which was usual at that point in time. 
but they could not find a single satisfactory juror because everybody had heard about this. And they added 150 more uh, where they could not seat a full panel and another 150 and they, they rejected over 200 people and before they, they had a full panel of, of jurors. In the meantime, he was tried for the murder of the mother uh, first and then he was going to be tried for the murder of the father because that happened like, a, you know, he didn't die until a week later. So, you know, all these people came and testified against him. They got people down from Michigan. They got people along the, the trip. Yep. The the hotel, hotel keeper in Huamo where he caught that train to Detroit. He had, he had talked to him. He, he testified. Uh, other people he had worked for in Michigan testified. There was tons of testimony against uh, Mr. Garget or Mr. Uh, Hunter. I'm sorry. And they finally, you know, they found him guilty. Mm-hmm. Conclusion of the trial. And he was sentenced to death. The verdict was November 20th. Yeah. Or uh, it was supposed to be carried out on the 21st day of November uh, where he would have his his uh, execution carried out between the hours of 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. noon, high noon. Could you imagine sitting there and being told by the judge? I have you know, enough time or enough anxiety waiting for the cable man to come between 8 and 12 o'clock. <laughs> he's, he, he's just been sentenced to death. He, he's given, I think he was given, I think the verdict was in July. And he was sentenced to death or he was going to be executed in November. So he had about three months to get his affairs in order. Luckily, he didn't have a lot of money. There probably wasn't a bunch of stuff to get in order. <laughs> so did it ever come out what his whole true backstory was? I'm I'm not sure. He he pretended to be insane mm-hmm. for a lot of like uh, newspaper writers who would come to the jail to see him. He would um, during the trial, especially, he would burst out as an insane person would, but people saw through it. Right. Apparently. On November 21st, at at 1 o'clock, he was hanged. Well, he said, prior to being hanged, I'm innocent of the crime. Yes, this I'm is what he said. I'm innocent of the crime for which I... I am innocent of the crime for which I am to suffer. I did not intend to do the deed. I here pray that the Lord will forgive me all my sins, and that he will forgive all my enemies. I now forgive all my enemies, hoping that all will forgive me. I have no enmity against my girl, Chloe Gargett, and I hope that the Lord will forgive her. Forgive her. I must now take my leave of my friends and the world. I have no confession to make of any crime whatsoever. I have never committed any offense in any country where I've lived. This is insane. I hope that the Lord will take me to heaven. I hope they'll forgive me, but I've done nothing wrong. I have always loved Mr. and Mrs. Gargett and did not intend to take their lives, but I've done no crime. Witnesses swore false against me, but I forgive them. I now forgive all and hope that the Lord will forgive my soul. And to the sheriff, give my love to your wife who has cared for me so well and to my attorneys and friends. So this guy is a liar till the end. Again, presidential material Mm -hmm. in the modern day. So they, they, uh, you know... They put the the hood over him, and he starts trembling and <clears throat> continues to utter words of prayer. Oh, Lord God, save me and deliver me. Oh, God, I will be with thee in heaven. May Jesus Christ pardon me. Bless those that curse me. I will forgive them all and hope to meet them all in heaven and those that I shot. <laughs> Give my love to all. I am an innocent man. I never premeditated it. Uh... Even though you told everybody that you were going to do it, yeah. 
I hope God will take me and all my friends to heaven, my girl and all. Imagine going to heaven and he's the first person you see. I must be in the wrong place. Because <laughs> if there ever is a hell. Will not someone pray for me? So, uh, at 18 minutes to 12, the noose was adjusted around his neck. And at precisely <clears throat> 16 minutes to 12, the trap was sprung. His last exclamation being, Oh my Lord God Almighty, give my love to all both enemies and friends. So, he was executed. His body was was taken. Uh, they did examine his brain uh, to see if he might be insane. Uh, but there were no no marks. He had in the in the uh, in the trial. He said he had suffered a concussion or a blow to the head at some point in his life, and this caused his insanity. Mm-hmm. But they found no marks of concussion or any external blow. When they did the autopsy on his brain. But they did find that the brain weighed 46 and a half ounces, considerably above average. And in perfectly sound and healthy condition. Mm-hmm. So late in the evening, uh, there was a spirited contest for his cadaver. And the body of the murder dressed in the plain black suit worn upon the gallows was taken quietly to Glendale Cemetery. They had there was no law in Ohio at the time for the turning over by the public authority of the bodies of criminals or unknown dead to medical institutions for scientific purposes. And such subjects as were needed for medical purposes were clandestinely procured. So grave robbers. Clandestinely. Clandestinely. <laughs> Thank you. Disheveled, disheveled. Disheveled that from college. Yeah. <laughs> I look so disheveled. Yeah. That was you. That was me. Now, I made the mistake. That's okay. 20, 20 years later. Clandestinely. That, that might be a... Clandestinely. Clandestinely, yeah. <laughs> Clandestine might be a, a relative of Edstein. Edstein. <laughs> so, uh, there were at least three bar- parties on the alert to help to secure the body in question. One being a party of medical students from Cleveland, and the other two being rival physicians in Akron. Oh, we got our shields. Cadaver, so cadaver fight. These these guys were like competing to get his uh, his, uh, his body. His body. So they buried him. The burial party then left, and while the superintendent was still engaged in putting out a source just over the hill, these medical students descended upon the grave and started digging. Um, but the superintendent returned. And stopped <laughs> you kids. Get, get out, out of here. here. Get out of here. Get off my lawn. And then the superintendent left again. They they put someone on, on detail to watch the grave. And he left just for a short time. And then another group of the medical students came. And they just, they were caught again digging him up. And the, the guy told them to stop. And they just refused and kept doing it. <laughs> but then the superintendent came back and fired his rifle into the shrubbery and the diggers thought it was prudent to retreat you see what that rifle did to that shrub so so the students they went and got uh some of the cemetery trustees to order the superintendent to deliver the body and order him to withdraw his guards from the the grounds and eventually he did and the uh one of the parties was able to get get Hunter's body, which at this point in time in 1892 when this was written, mm-hmm. they prepared his skeleton, and it's it's in the prom uh, uh, in the cabinet of a prominent surgeon and physician in the city of Akron. So they did get his his body, Doctor Frank N. Stein. Frank N. Stein. <laughs> Ed Stein. Ed Stein. <laughs> Another relative. <laughs> That's Steen. <laughs> Eventually, uh, the Gargets have been killed. They have all this real estate here in Richfield. This, and, and the youngest son was left everything, pretty much. Rodney. Yeah. The, the farm was supposed to go to Mrs. Gargett because everybody thought that uh, Robert would die first. He's five years older than she right. is. Right. And, uh, you know, she died first, and mm-hmm. it went to Rodney. 
I guess there was a public sale of the farm stock, which Rodney purchased the larger portion, amounting to several thousand dollars. However, he started spending all the money and bought a nice team and carriage. He supplied himself and his wife with gold watches and other luxuries. A nice Corvette. And became extremely pampered. He took out this loan to, to do all this, and eventually he couldn't make the payments, and there was a foreclosure on the property. So he lost the farm. Uh, Chloe, in the meantime, she did find love again after she moved up to Michigan with her, her sisters, and she married a highly respectable gentleman by the name of George Holiday, a hardware merchant. But afterwards, by reason of the loss of his entire stock of goods by fire, without insurance, they had to retire to a farm where they were reported 21 years after this happened to be living in prosperity and happiness. So this whole tale, it definitely has to be one of the most thrilling episodes in Richfield history. Well, the way we read it, it sure was. (laughs) Wow, what a story. Yeah. This might be a two-parter, Matt. Uh, it might, I think probably it should be for the sake of the listeners. Talk about torture, you know. But uh, Chloe falling for this guy, uh, uh-huh. sight unseen. They meet, which, I mean, I guess eventually if you're going to get married, you have to meet. It helps. Good thing they didn't, she didn't go, well, is it a good thing that she didn't go through with it? Would the parents have lived? Yeah, yeah, they would. Yeah, they would have. They would have lived. They, they, she would not have been happy. You know, Rodney made out initially in the whole thing, so it almost it almost begs one to wonder: Could Rodney have encouraged this? No, because he ran into the house and tried to grapple with the guy, and he got shot in the ear. I don't think there's uh, that would never have happened. No, that wouldn't have happened. There's yeah. that's not West Richfield, seemed, or South Richfield seemed, material. Seemed to be. You know, uh, fairly, even though he was a 71-year-old man, seemed to be in very good health. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite prosperous, as we've seen. Right. Had a, you know, a lot of land and a lot of cattle. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Rachel, what's going on? Are we hungry? We just talked about the one of the most... Salacious. Oh. Frightening. Gut-wrenching stories of uh, South Richfield, well, West Richfield history. Oh, the Gargette murders. And I was at the cemetery. Uh, uh, Elizabeth and Robert are buried at the West Richfield Cemetery, which I was up at the Memorial Day Parade the other day, and I found the grave, and I took a picture of it, um, and I'll put it on the website if, if anybody wants to see it. I'm glad you started dating me even though my teeth weren't perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have as much style as your sister, Dave. And I still married you. I mean, your brother, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of hair on his shin. I I have no problem with the material. It's just your style. (laughs) There's lots to work with. We can mold you. I can buy you nice things. I'm glad she married me. Could you imagine? Yeah, you'd, you'd if, uh, if she would have wrote me a letter and said, "Oh, dear Scott, I you lied, I, you lied to me. Six foot you're, two and eyes of blue. I don't think so. And your parents, you told me they lived a thousand feet away, but they only live five hundred feet away. And I kill spiders with my bare hands. Oh my gosh! That's impressive. Yeah. Anyway, so that wraps up. The telling of the double murder in Richfield. That story had to be talked about for generations, I would imagine. It most definitely was, and people are still talking about it today. They are now. As <laughs> as we just saw. And, you know, it now will live on for another two and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, if we're lucky enough. Right. Don't uh, buy your gold watches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't live your pampered lifestyle, Scott. <laughs> 
Hey, Matt, we got some uh, listener email. Oh, no. You've got mail. I don't think we have time to go into any uh, weird news this week. Let's see what we got but, time for, though. But we do have time for a listener email. Hey there, S&F. Hmm. That's got a nice ring to it. I've been seeing lots of shirts and stickers with the South Ridgeville Podcast logo floating around. Are you guys selling any merch? Allow a fan from Moorhead County to do the shameless plugging for you guys. Lord knows you need all the help you can get. And we also know you'll both do a crappy job with self-promotion. That's Thanks to Jazzhole. Thanks, Mr. Jasshole. <laughs> and right you are. Scott and I aren't ones to toot our own horns, even though we did experiment in college. <laughs> we play, I played the trumpet and you played the French horn. That's right. <laughs> we tooted them. <laughs> I was not very good at it, so I gave it up. But uh, I guess we do have t-shirts and stickers. If anyone's interested, just send an email. Yeah. I, I have a few left. But we should be expecting another order if people want. Uh, we have four different shirts, mm-hmm. which you very can stylish. See, very stylish. People have probably seen them around town and said, "Hey, where can I get one of those?" You know, the kids are wearing them at the high school. That's the latest rage. In fact, one of our listen. Well, I don't even know if they're listeners, but one one of the kids, I gave a shirt and said, "Hey, here here you go." He wore it to school. And the gym teacher, well, actually, I don't know. Uh, no, he's not the gym teacher. Mr. Hine, Phil Hine, he's a few years behind us. He's like, hey, I listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. people do recognize the podcast. It, the message is getting out there. Yeah, yeah. We also have one more email. Matt Clomer. <laughs> hmm. Matt Clomer reminds me of Jack Tripper from Three's Company, except instead of being a chef, he's a drunk. A drunk. (laughs) And Matt's version is a shorter, fatter, balding, and more annoying Jack Tripper who doesn't live with two beautiful women. Uh Actually, the more I think of it, Matt is nothing like Jack Tripper at all. What do you think? It's a fair, a fair assessment. I, I, I wouldn't say balding. No, you, I got a, a lovely head of he hair. He might be mixing us together. Oh, perhaps. <laughs> a shorter? I'd say I'm about the same height as, as uh, Jack Tripper. Jack Tripper. I always, I did, I did live with three girls while I was in college. We talked about one of the girls behind her back, and she moved out. So I ended up living with two girls <laughs> while I was in college. Hot damn! Yeah. Come and knock on my door. <laughs> And, you know, there was lots of hijinks. <laughs> did you ever leave the oven on? No. Like Jack? I don't know if he did. I might be thinking of a, a skit I wrote for a houseboat oh. talent show. No, that never <laughs> happened. But there, there was always uh, hijinks and walking around in uh, bathrobes until they told me, Matt, would you please put on your clothes? <laughs> Were you wearing their bathrobes? Mm. Those short ones? I looked really good terry in cloth? the terry cloth. <laughs> You know? Just like James Bond. Right. I, I had nice thighs <laughs> back then. Well, you were it, a track athlete. That's right. If you've got the goods, you got to show it. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, I don't think that's a fair assessment. But I, I do like the Jack Tripper comparison. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh-huh. I do too. I, I disagree with this uh, this email. Because is it, is he, it Mr. Jassel? No, uh, it was someone else. Oh, okay. <laughs> he did not sign his letter. Coward. <laughs> Back it up, foo. Back it up. So, anyway. Well, I think that probably about does it for this extended episode of the South Richfield Podcast. Maybe we should have like a premium content version where they can get the full... (laughs) What happens? What happens with Chloe and John? we got to find a nice cliffhanger. (laughs) Find out next week. As always, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Or on any of your favorite podcast sites, like the one we actually host on. Podbean. Podbean. I have had complaints from some people about not being able to download it. What? Have you encountered such issues? No. You should be able to download it. All right. But I could be wrong. All right. On Podbean? On Podbean, yeah. Maybe they should go to the Apple Podcast and just subscribe. And if you do go there, it would be a 
greatly appreciate it if you would write us a review, five stars. And uh, I can't help. download this thing. <laughs> what happened to John and Chloe? And help us get the South Richfield message out there. Yeah. And as always, you can send us emails, uh, just like Hugh did, mm-hmm. uh, at southrichfield at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter, at southrichfield. Uh, go to our website, mm-hmm. southrichfield.com, where you can take a poll about the Revere School District and what school you went to. We got a lot of responses so far. And actually, I found a lot of the answers I was looking for on the, on the Revere website. All right. But it's interesting. And we'll talk about this next podcast, maybe. Uh, we're always wondering how these Revere schools, the new Richfield Elementary, Hillcrest, blah, 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 all fit in together. Mm-hmm. And I found some awesome stuff, Matt. You mean data? Oh, yes, yes. Listen to this. Old yearbooks from the 40s from Richfield High School. Okay. You remember when we were in a senior year and they have senior select? Didn't you win like class clown or something? Funniest? No, no, no. It was a class clown. Okay. (laughs) It was most erudite humor. (laughs) What? (laughs) It was funniest. (laughs) Matt won funniest boy Uh or young man. Mm-hmm. Along with uh, who was your companion? Heidi Marshall. Heidi Marshall. Yep. In our class. Mm-hmm. But back then they had some strange categories. Girl with the best figure. Ooh. I found that this one girl won it four years in a row. <laughs> Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Oh, she man. won it four years straight. She had to be a knockout. She probably was. I think I saw her. Like a couple weeks ago. I'd be dead serious. She had to be like, what? She's 84. 84 now. <laughs> she was. <laughs> Still a hot piece of... Come on, don't talk like no, that. And I'm being serious. I did see her at our church's 200 <laughs> I'm almost positive it was her. I don't know 100%, but I'm going to ask somebody who was in class by then. Four that years was running. That's, that's amazing. She was a cheerleader. For but Richfield High School. For Richfield High School. Well, you know the shame though? You got robbed for a girl with the highest figure. You, her best figure. You almost you should have won that. I should have won it, but oh well. It was political. It was all politics. It was. I didn't I didn't kiss ass in high school. That's right. <laughs> that's what what you had to do to win that award. So right. I feel How'd like, you win? Uh <laughs> I paid people off. <laughs> Here, I'll give you one of these South Richfield t-shirts. And kissed a lot of ass. <laughs> so, thank you all for listening to this uh, huge, by far, longest episode. Double episode. Double episode. This is going to last enough to last two months. Double live in Japan. <laughs> thank you for listening to the South Richfield podcast. We'll see you later.